0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Here in Apologetics, as always, brought to you by you with your support on Patreon.com. Today, I'm joined by Tim Stratton. He's a part of Free Thinking Ministries. He also wrote a book entitled Human Freedom, Divine Knowledge, and Mere Molinism, also known as the book with the best meme advertisements in the history of the world. Um, But Tim, thank you so much for
1: joining me. How are you? I'm doing great, Uh, Zach. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show today. Uh, I'm honored.
0: Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking... Uh, forward to this conversation, just talking about um, how your free choice to watch this video may be evidence for theism. Um, so, talking about like free will and um, all these big questions surrounding mm-hmm. that. Um, so, to start off, could you just like introduce yourself and talk a little bit about like who you
1: are and what you do? Yeah, well, my, uh, I'm Dr. Tim Stratton. Uh, I have uh, graduate degrees in both apologetics and theology. Um, as you said, I'm the founder of Free Thinking Ministries, uh, where our goal is to. Equip the church to engage the culture. You know, we we want to help Christians know what they should believe and why they should believe it, and then to equip them to be able to rationally communicate these justified true beliefs to mm-hmm. other Christians to you know to support their faith and to strengthen their faith, and also to non Christians uh, to um, help them see the truth of Christianity and, and and maybe have opportunities to share the gospel. So, anyway, you know, uh, your audience can check out our website at freethinkingministries.com and also check out our podcast. It's called the free thinking podcast. Uh, My co-host is Scott Olson there and he's a philosophy grad student at Biola. And uh, definitely check out our YouTube channel. Uh, Just search for free thinking ministries and you can find lots of content there. Oh, and I, and I should say uh, that much of my work is arguing for the existence of a certain kind of free will uh, called libertarian free will. And then showing how, as you Uh, hinted at it's how it's ultimately evidence for god's existence and i did publish a book that you mentioned um called uh human freedom divine knowledge and mere molinism here it is Mm uh and uh, it's actually a modified version of my doctoral dissertation and we discuss uh, or i discuss these things there so
0: yeah, that's great, great content, and I love your YouTube channel. Um, I just for the first time this spring started watching the Marvel movies. Um, oh. I just like my friend started watching WandaVision. I was like, I want to know what's happening here because this is really good. So I like I watched all the movies and I saw on your channel you have all these like Marvel references, and I'm like, I get this now. <laughs> I felt so yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, just to start off here, um, let's talk about the question of like what is free will and what is like libertarian free will. Um, because it's a big question, and there's there's a lot of things surrounding this. Um, So how would you define free will, Tim?
1: Yeah. So I'm focused on not just free will, but libertarian free will. And I do try to cover all of my bases and offer multiple definitions of libertarian freedom in my book and on my website and other places. But uh, there's many definitions to consider, and there's a lot of disagreements on these definitions of libertarian freedom. But as I explained in my book, uh, let's see, this is what I said. Let me read it here. I said libertarian freedom may be defined essentially as the conjunction of a rejection of compatibilism, which side note is a different way of looking at free will. So it's a conjunction, a a rejection of, well, let me start over. Libertarian freedom (laughs) may be defined essentially as the conjunction of a rejection of compatibilism, along with the claim that humans at least occasionally possess free will and or desert responsibility. So that is to say that the advocate of libertarian freedom affirms that people possess freedom of moral and rational responsibility, and that the freedom necessary for responsible action is not compatible with determinism. Thus, in simple terms, libertarian freedom sometimes refers to a categorical ability to act or think otherwise, and it always refers to source agency without any ultimate external causes. I say the former is sufficient for libertarian freedom while the latter is necessary. And then recently, um, so that was, that was from my book, but in a Mm -hmm. recent 50 page, uh, paper that I wrote a response to a philosopher, um, named Guillaume Bignon, great guy. Uh, but we disagree on this issue. Uh, he's an exhaustive divine determinist. So I call him an ed guy, EDD, an exhaustive divine determinist. And so we have a disagreement here. Um, and in that response to him, you can find that on my website. I, I explained that the primary definitions of libertarianism that I seek to defend are twofold. So this is what I said in that paper: um, quote, the first is what is referred to as sourcehood libertarian freedom, according to which, as I say in my book, libertarian freedom always refers to source agency, without any ultimate external deterministic cause. The second definition of libertarian freedom is stronger and often referred to as a leeway-based approach or an alternative possibilities approach. As I noted on the fourth page of my book, one of the goals, at least whenever possible, was to argue for the stronger definition of libertarian freedom, and I phrase that as follows, the categorical ability or opportunity to choose among a range of alternative options, each of which is consistent or compatible with one's nature at the moment of choice. And it could also be expressed this way the ability to choose, uh, or even the opportunity to exercise an ability to choose among a range of alternative options, each of which is compatible with the agent's nature at the moment of choice, and the antecedent conditions are insufficient to causally determine the agent's choice. So that's a bunch of uh philosophical lingo there. But uh do you have any follow-up questions on any of my definitions?
0: No, so I think that um one kind of good way that at least I think about free will. Um and maybe you can just kind of like refine my definition or say it's crazy or whatever. Um but I always think of free will as like like libertarian free will in the sense is the ability to have done otherwise in like the same circumstances. Like say like I'm in like I'm talking to you right now, um uh, and I have the ability to hang up the phone right now and end this broadcast and make everyone sad hopefully um or i can keep it going um so that's kind of how i kind of think about it and it's like it, it can be the same exact physical circumstances um but i still have that choice Is kind of at least a rough definition of how
1: i think of that choice. is rough and i think that's how most people think of it uh indeed that's how i thought of it uh, as i first started out um thinking about these things um mm-hmm. but what's what will really get you uh is uh is is it's possible for for if for some weird reason I don't have an ability to actually uh, act otherwise. But mm-hmm. nothing is if it can be demonstrated that nothing is causally determining me. Right? If there's uh, no one, if there's not someone or something else causally determining me, but if for some weird reason I don't have an ability to to choose or act otherwise, well, it could still be said that I'm free in the libertarian Mm -hmm. sense. So what I say is if one does possess uh, the ability to choose or act or what I'm uh, most consumed with, the ability to think otherwise, Mm -hmm. if one has the ability to think, act, believe or behave otherwise, then you do have uh, uh, libertarian freedom. That is if you have the opportunity to exercise these Mm -hmm. abilities one way or the other. So if I did X, you really could have done not X. That's that categorical ability to to do otherwise. If you have that categorical ability, I call it a broad opportunity, um, then then you have libertarian freedom. However, if I can't demonstrate that you have this broad opportunity to exercise an ability to do or think otherwise, as long as I can show that there's no causal strings attached, um, there's nothing causally determining you, then I can still show that you've got libertarian freedom. So I, I often vacillate. i uh, you know, I'm kind of like an MMA fighter. Hey, if you take me down to the ground, I'll fight you. I'll do jujitsu. If you mm-hmm. can't take me down, I'm going to kickbox you, and I'll go back and forth between the two, whatever uh, serves my purposes.
0: <laughs> mm. It's humble of you to turn down your career as like UFC champion um, to to do this free thinking
1: ministry stuff. So I, I appreciate well, that. Yeah. Well, here's what's funny. I don't know if you know this, but I did used to do MMA. I fought. Professionally I think I a saw that. Times, yeah. yeah. And I was mm-hmm. one and one I lost my last fight, and broke my hand. I said, that's enough of that. And I coached for a while. And the current champion at 170 pounds right now in the UFC, his name is Kamaru Usman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I used to coach him. So, really? Uh, yeah. He's, he's awesome. So awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, he's one of the best uh, that the UFC has ever seen. And uh, when he started training with us, uh, he was really good. He was quite the athlete, but man he is skyrocketed anyway we're not here to talk about UFC <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah Kamaru Usman's an absolute beast um, yeah, he so is. it's it's interesting um, but with regards to like the free will stuff um, yes. so let's talk about like just jumping around here a little bit um, why, why do you think we have free will um, obviously in a minute here we'll get into some like different arguments that you'll present um, to say like we do have free will but like if you're going to give like an elevator pitch and sum it up to someone maybe like 60 120 seconds like Woo. why I think that we have this like libertarian freedom and I know I'm I'm putting you on the clock. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's tough. All right. Um, All right. Number one, I think uh, that Christianity is true. So that's the first reason. Mm -hmm. And since I think that Christianity is true and that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and we have reasons to think that too, I could get into apologetics arguments for that. But since I think the Bible is the inspired word of God, and I also think the Bible is clear in both the old Testament and the new Testament. um, I I think the Bible is clear that humans possess libertarian freedom. That's one reason. Um, now I know there's going to be Christians saying, no, the Bible says we don't. Okay. We'll have that conversation. I, I think, um, uh, I used to hold that position and I changed my mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two, the second reason why I think we have libertarian freedom is I believe that morality is more apparent to us than the physical universe. Um, and I've, uh, I've discussed this in the past. I think, I mean, it's possible. I mean, the, the physical, we have a direct acquaintance with the physical universe, but it's possible That we're in the matrix, right? We can't rule Mm -hmm. that out. So it's possible that physical reality doesn't exist. However, even in the matrix, there seems to be some things that are really, or objectively speaking, good, bad, right, wrong, or evil that you shouldn't do, even if physical matter doesn't exist. So it seems to me that objective morality is more apparent to us than the physical universe. Now, with that said, if objective, uh, if we possess these moral, obligations in an objective sense, then we've got to have libertarian freedom. Um, And I argue for that in my book. And by the way, Dr. David Baggett, who is considered to be the world's foremost expert on the moral argument, uh, he agrees with me. In fact, I just interviewed him on my YouTube show last week. um, And I encourage you, you got to get him on your show sometime. I'm sure he'll he'll be happy to come on. But uh, uh, yeah, people want to watch that. And go to my YouTube channel. And anyway, my point is, uh, objective. We have objective moral obligations. We ought to think and act uh, in some manners, and ought to avoid thinking and acting in other manners. And I think uh, th- I believe that that requires libertarian freedom. Now, another reason to think that we have free will is regarding the philosophy of love. I've I've done a lot of work regarding the philosophy of love, and I'm convinced that true love or or at least uh, what I call the best kind of love Mm. requires libertarian freedom. Uh, So then if one believes that it's possible to experience true love um, with God or anyone else, then one ought to believe that we possess libertarian freedom. But finally, you know, although those are are three really good reasons to think that humans possess libertarian freedom, there seems to be one argument that supersedes all the other reasons Mm -hmm. And that reason is the ability to reason. So um, I offer a a syllogism uh, known as the free thinking argument, which deductively concludes that we possess libertarian freedom. So uh, I guess bottom line, if, if one believes they can rationally infer better and true beliefs over false beliefs, and they believe that they can rationally affirm claims of knowledge, right? That they have the opportunity to rationally affirm claims of knowledge, then they ought to reject the idea that everything about humanity is always causally determined by something or someone else. Uh, they ought to affirm libertarian libertarian freedom. So that's four reasons uh, why mm-hmm. I think we ought to uh, reject this, uh, reject exhaustive determinism and affirm at least a limited libertarian freedom Mm
0: -hmm. yeah it's interesting because at least like in my experience i always just assumed that like even before i got interested in like apologetics philosophy all these things i just always assumed that like free will was a real thing um like it just seems like it just seems intuitively obvious that we do have this freedom um we couple with the arguments it just it it becomes a lot of fun to think about um so my question for you is did
1: people freely choose to
0: watch this video
1: tim (laughs) <laughs> well, I think most people probably did. Uh, mm-hmm. That is to say, I, I don't, I don't think most people are causally determined by something or someone else to watch this video. So, if that's mm-hmm. the case, then uh, one freely chooses in the libertarian sense to watch this video. But there could be a few out there who were causally determined to watch it. I'm not going to rule that out uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, for my purposes, I only argue for limited. Libertarian freedom. And that simply means that at least on occasion, at least sometimes, something or someone else does not causally determine everything about me. Namely, what I'm really interested in is at least sometimes something or someone else doesn't causally determine all of my thoughts and beliefs and my evaluations and judgments, right? I'm the kind of thing who has the ability to uh, to to freely think right i'm a free thinker mm-hmm. atheists like to call themselves free thinkers they don't have uh logical access to that term but I, I think that uh the christian view of humanity does uh a biblical view of humanity we have um logically consistent access to the term free thinkers um so yeah i i uh i think that there's some things about me that are causally determined uh, that, but i'm not responsible for those things i shouldn't be uh held praiseworthy or blameworthy for those types of things but there's some kinds of things um in which i'm not causally determined and it's uh, these kinds of things in which i do deserve uh, or at least i could deserve praise or blame so i say we we are um, responsible in a desert sense for those things that could be one way or the other or that, that were not causally determined by something or someone else I'm responsible in a dessert sense for those things. And by dessert sense, I'm not talking about uh, food that tastes really good. I'm talking about deservings. What do we deserve? Do we deserve to be held accountable um, for a certain thought or action? Do do we deserve to be praised for a certain thought or action? Uh, That's the kind of thing that I'm interested in.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's great. So when you're talking about like maybe like a limit, at least like arguing for at least like a minimum of like a limited um, libertarian freedom, is this referring specifically to maybe like um, significant moral choices, like maybe uh, choosing like to like follow God or not or maybe to like commit some sort of like terrible atrocity or not? Um, and that's kind of like this where this libertarian freedom you really think kicks in, whereas like maybe my decision to choose something from like the right shelf rather than the left shelf, um, maybe mm-hmm. that's just me kind of like going by like a causally like determined like kind of structure.
1: Yeah, so – uh, that's a great question. So, um, now I, while I personally think that, uh, when it comes to salvation issues, I believe that we have libertarian freedom and I mm-hmm. argue for that in my book and on my website and YouTube channel everywhere else. But, um, but for the sake of argument, trying to build bridges with other, uh, Christian theists who disagree with me, mm-hmm. I will show how even like with, uh, Calvinists, how you can hold to a five-point tulip Calvinism um, and still affirm mere Molinism. And I quote the original reformers um, uh, in my book and and elsewhere, showing that they really seem, maybe they weren't always consistent, but they definitely offer a lot to, uh, they gave me some great quotes, which which really seemed to uh, affirm a libertarian freedom and things not related to salvation issues. I think the reformers were pretty clear that, you know, with what we now call irresistible grace, right? If irresistible grace is true, the eye of tulip, then we don't have freedom. We don't have an ability to resist irresistible Mm -hmm. grace (laughs) by definition. Right. Um, So salvation matters or or soteriological issues uh, would uh, be causally determined by God and therefore, we don't have any libertarian freedom when it comes to those things. But I think Luther and Calvin and Melanchthon were clear that in things not related to salvation issues, we do have libertarian freedom. Um, so I would point people to my book there and, uh, and some of my articles. But uh, now, if that's the case, even if I granted for the sake of argument that we do not have libertarian freedom when it comes to soteriological issues, but we do have libertarian freedom over the mundane issues uh, or what they might call of the, of external matters. Um, or yeah, if that's the case and then we've still got limited libertarian freedom, it's limited to some things, but not all things. Now, I, I think that's the case anyway, even if we do apply it to salvation issues. Um, I, uh, I have limited libertarian freedom, uh, I don't have the ability to choose if I'm going to grow a full head of hair, but uh, I do have the ability. It's to choose coming, I, I believe it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in my uh, uh, my resurrected body, I'll have hair like Thor. Now that you're watching the Avengers, but um, uh, but uh, but I do have the choice to shave the rest of it off right now so uh mm-hmm. th- i think that's limited libertarian freedom so i don't know if that answers your question or not
0: no i think it, i think it does um so i, I appreciate that and it, it's interesting because you know with, with all of these things there's so many different perspectives um and, it, and i really enjoy like like kind of like your your arguments and your work because you're trying to find common ground that like maybe like the calvinist and the molinist and arminius like we can yeah. all get together and say here's some things we agree on or could agree on um yeah so.
1: That's right. I I do spend basically a chapter in my book trying to build bridges with uh, my Calvinist brethren. I used to be a hardcore five-point Calvinist and an exhaustive divine determinist myself. Um, And Mm -hmm. so it it took quite a bit uh, before I finally uh, changed my mind. Um, Mm -hmm. Or else we'll just say that God causally determined me to change my mind. But then that would be uh, kind of weird and raise many other (laughs) questions. (laughs) we'll We'll just kind of bury
0: those and never answer them um
1: (laughs) i I do like it i I will talk about them but i don't know if you (laughs) want to do it now so
0: yeah um no i do like the idea of we're getting a little off track here but i do love the idea of like building bridges um like i'm Mm -hmm. sure you're familiar with josh rasmussen um he's just he's he's the nicest guy alive in yeah, my opinion yeah, yeah. I mean like he's very big especially like he does a lot of talking with like atheists and stuff about like building bridges Um, because I think especially like online we can get into like oh it's Calvinism versus Arminianism or Molinism or like it's the Christian versus the atheist or like things like that but like if we think about it it's really all of us kind of like coming from these different perspectives just seeking truth um so Mm -hmm. a little bit different here but i I do i i just like i heard that and i just like yes that's exactly what we need is building bridges and working together and not getting so like dogmatized about all these things so mm, yeah so the next thing i have for you um is kind of getting into like the big meaty stuff right here um it's talking about like the implications of like free will with like the theism atheism debate um Mm -hmm. so in a minute here we'll get into like certain arguments like for against free will and like objections and such but like why I, how does this like libertarian freedom play into the, the, the whole theism and atheism debate? Why do you think um it, it provides some evidence for the existence of God having this libertarian freedom?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, mm-hmm. So, all right. So I've got this uh, syllogism that I guess I've kind of become known for because I talk about it all the time <laughs> and uh, kind of name my ministry after it. Uh, it's called the free thinking <laughs> argument, right? Yeah. And so with, with the free thinking argument, um, that, that deductively concludes that humans possess libertarian freedom, right? So uh, – and that gets us – because it's talking about rationality and the ability to rationally infer uh, better and true beliefs over false ones and the ability to rationally affirm claims of knowledge. Uh, and anyway, so – I, that's just a, a three-step syllogism, two premises and one uh, conclusion. and the conclusion is therefore humans possess libertarian freedom, basically. so mm-hmm. now i've I've expanded that argument um by adding two additional premises, which deductively leads to two additional conclusions and one abductive conclusion. so, it's a bit longer uh, mm-hmm. than the three the, the three step argument, but uh, by expanding the argument, because the the core of the argument, what I call the, or those three uh, steps, the two premises and one conclusion, it says nothing about God. So the mm-hmm. atheists, there there are atheist philosophers who um, there's a few of them. I I would say they're in the minority, but there's a few real, uh, good ones uh, like uh, John Searle and uh, uh, Evan Fales. Mm-hmm. There's some others that that affirm uh, the ability to freely think in the libertarian sense um, because of rationality and knowledge issues. Mm -hmm. Um, So the atheists can affirm that core of the free thinking argument against naturalism, which is an expanded version. However, with this expanded version that the atheists are going to, or the naturalist anyway is going to have a, a harder time with this. <laughs> I'll say it like yeah. that. So, um, so not only it only not only does it show that naturalism is false, or I can run a different version and show that it's at least probably false, um, but I can then show that it points to uh, the existence of God, or that God is the inference to the best explanation. And I actually argue that the biblical view of God is the inference to the best explanation after considering all the data. So anyway, I call this. The free thinking argument against naturalism. I've worded it in several different manners. Um uh here's one that I I'll give you the, the latest. This one's not even in my book, but I think this one is kind of easier for beginners to, to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh so when I talk about nature here or naturalism, you know, so naturalism is the view that only nature exists, and so by nature, I'm referring to the the, the the kind of stuff that scientists uh can directly test or discover.
0: It's like and the materialistic so, picture of reality is kind of yeah, what you're thinking? Yeah,
1: there's always pushback like that's not what I mean about natural uh, that's mm-hmm. what not what I mean by that word. Um okay, we can use a the physicalist view of the universe or a materialistic view. I often use those words uh, interchangeably unless somebody says that's not how I use it. Then I say, okay, tell me what word you want me to use. And I'll use okay. that. <laughs> right. So, uh, but by the word nature, I'm, I'm referring to the kind of stuff that scientists test and discover, or could possibly test and discover. Uh, so with that in mind here, here uh, here's an argument. All right. Premise one, if naturalism is true, then only nature exists. So, Uh, that's true by definition there's no souls angels demons or god arguably there's not even abstract objects um it's only the only physical kinds of stuff exist if naturalism is true so again the premise is if naturalism is true then only nature exists i mean that's like i said that's true by definition Mm -hmm. premise two if there is no supernatural aspect of humanity then everything about humanity including all thoughts and beliefs would be causally determined by the forces and events of nature, i.e., physics and chemistry. Three, if all things about humanity, including all thoughts and beliefs, are causally determined by the forces and events of nature, then it's impossible for humans to rationally infer best explanations over false beliefs and rationally affirm knowledge claims. Four, it is possible for humans to and for better and best explanations over false beliefs and rationally affirm knowledge claims. And I contend that it's self-defeating to offer knowledge claims against this premise. So you got to hold that one. All right. Now we've got some deductive conclusions that follow Uh, five. Therefore, not all things about humanity are causally determined by the forces and events of nature. Mm. Six. Therefore a supernatural aspect of humanity exists. You know, you can call it whatever you want. I call it a soul or an immaterial mind. But if somebody doesn't like those words for whatever reason, I, you can call it a schmoll. I don't care what you call it. Um, but, mm-hmm. it's a, but it's but it's an aspect of humanity that is other than nature. All right. Seven, another deductive conclusion. Therefore, naturalism is false because souls or immaterial minds exist mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. All right. So then Those are three deductive conclusions. So we got not all things are causally determined by or not all things about humanity are causally determined. All right. What does that mean? That means you've got libertarian freedom. Uh, The next deductive conclusion is uh, there is something supernatural or other than nature about you. And therefore, if that's the case, the naturalism is false, uh, which is the most common view of atheism. Now, I, I do provide an abductive conclusion. Then this is step eight. And uh, so I've been dealing with what it takes to make an inference to the best explanation in the deductive argument. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now I add abductive and I said, I say speaking of inference to the best explanation, the best explanation mm-hmm. of the existence of a supernatural aspect of humanity is God. And the biblical view of God seems to make the most sense. Now that's really the beginning of another argument, but let me quickly defend the premises of that argument.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. The, the first three steps of the, of the syllogism are rather straightforward. So in summary, premise one, as I already noted, it's true by definition. Uh, again, if naturalism is true, nature is all that exists. Premise two is tantamount to if all that exists is nature, then everything about humanity is causally determined by the forces of nature, the initial conditions of the Big Bang and perhaps some quantum events, all of which are outside of human control. Mm hmm. Uh, Three expresses the fact that if all things are causally determined, then that includes all thoughts, all beliefs, all evaluations and all judgments. Right. So something or someone else is causally determining the way you think about the things I'm saying right now. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not up to you. It's up to something else. So if all of a person's thoughts, beliefs, evaluations and judgments are always forced upon the person and she has no opportunity to be more careful and to choose better thoughts, beliefs, evaluations, or judgments, then she's simply left assuming that her determined, uh, yeah, she's left assuming that her determined thoughts, beliefs, evaluations, and judgments are good and that her beliefs are true. But therefore, if that's the case, then one could never rationally affirm that her beliefs really are the inference to the best explanation. This can only be assumed, and this assumption would likewise be causally determined and forced upon her by something other than her. So mm-hmm. as I like to say, uh, stealing from William Lane Craig, um, and he's talking about this exact topic here, he said, He says, once you come to realize this, a sense of vertigo is warranted, because everything you think, even this thought mm-hmm. itself, isn't up to you. It's up to something else. It's either up to physics and chemistry, or if you're, you know, or God, or Loki from the Avengers, the deity of deception or the god of mischief, I don't know, something or a mad scientist, something or someone other than you is causally determining exactly what you think and exactly how you think about it, how you judge something, how you evaluate an argument or a premise or anything I say. You're not in control of what you think about my my claims and my arguments and my premises here. Something else is. Well, <laughs> yeah. And that's a problem when you come to see that that's something else on the on the uh, naturalistic view isn't a thinking thing. It's not a rational thing. Mm-hmm. Um, So something else that is non-rational is causally determining all of your thoughts and beliefs. That doesn't make sense. Now, you've got a big rationality problem here. So bottom line, uh, well, I'll just say that uh it's the paramount concern for the atheistic naturalist, right? Because yeah. if they affirm that exhaustive determin- if they affirm the exhaustive determinism of humanity, if determinism is true, then atheists or, or anybody else for that matter cannot possess justification for their belief in atheism or naturalism. And, and justification mm-hmm. seems to be required for knowledge, at least that's what the majority of epistemologists affirm. And if that's the case, then the atheist or the naturalist cannot possess knowledge based upon justification either. So it it seems to follow that if the naturalist knows that naturalism is true, then naturalism is false. (laughs) So (laughs) I think it makes much more sense to conclude that naturalism is false and that God or things like God, such as souls exist. Now, here's the bottom line. Hmm. If you believe that you are a rational free thinker who is not ultimately mind controlled by something else, then you should reject atheistic naturalism and affirm that both God and soul exist. So anyway, that's the free thinking argument against naturalism in a nutshell, but I often just use the, the two, two premises and the first deductive conclusion. And I just call that the free thinking argument. And I can use use that just to, just to prove uh, logically that libertarian freedom is possessed by humans when it comes to thinking. Um, But then you can expand it and go after naturalism and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, at least the, like, I kind of think of it, um, is I think about like, maybe like, like the different ideas with like the foundation. Um, and we have like the natural, like the atheistic naturalistic picture of the foundation where we're going to have something like a quantum vacuum or the initial state of the universe. And we have this physical thing, um, that's responsible for everything else. And it, it would kind of like logically follow that. It would also follow like for things like you and me and our minds or the minds we think we have at least. Um, so I see that picture. And then I see like the theistic picture, um, where we have a mind at the fundamental nature of reality. And it would explain things like how we could have like rational minds and things like that. Um, so do you think that's pretty like a fair kind of way of looking at it? Um, at least in your opinion, Tim?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a conditional statement here that if I am a being created in the image and likeness of God, and I think a great way to do that. I mean, we can use scripture to see what God is like, you know, God mm-hmm. is spirit. God, God created the entire universe. Um, so so if we start to you know think about the Kalam cosmological argument as well, and that gets you mm-hmm. back to uh, the cause and creator of the universe, logically prior to creation, um, logically prior to the the existence of the universe. What you know, when we do a conceptual analysis of the cause of the universe, we start to see that that the cause of the universe is a, a supernatural, immaterial, thinking thing with free will, um, and and I, I discuss this at length in my book as well. But then when you think, okay, if that's what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God. So if if God creates us as immaterial beings who have bodies but can exist apart from our bodies, which is my view, it's called substance dualism. Point people to J.P. Moreland on that. Um, But that that really seems to make sense of saying that the, the thing that I call I, it's not my body. I have a body but I can exist apart from it and someday I'll get another body. Like mine will have hair, right? Like Thor. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully. But, oh yeah, we'll see. Um, if not, I'm cool with this. It's, it's a, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, if I'm the kind of thing that can exist apart from my body, then uh, I, I think that the Christian view here, uh, which is a, a commonly held view of, of within Christendom, um, it really makes sense then that I could be the type of thing that is designed with the the with the ability and opportunities to think carefully on things. Uh, I can take my thoughts captive before they take me. Um, I, I I can choose to step back and evaluate my presuppositions. Right? They're just if, but if they're all causally determined and forced upon me, then I have zero opportunities to ever think otherwise. Right? If I'm causally determined to happily affirm a false belief by physics and chemistry or God or anything else, then I have zero opportunity to infer a better or Mm. true belief. So say goodbye to inference to the best explanation, if that's the case. If something else other than me causally determines me to affirm a false belief, I have zero opportunity to infer a better or true belief. And so a rational agent is the kind of thing that has the ability to rationally infer better and true beliefs over false beliefs but that that agent is gone if, mm-hmm. so if exhaustive determinism is true
0: yeah that's great um so i think right now it'd be a good point to kind of transition into some of like the certain arguments for free will um so we talked about your free thinking argument a little bit um but there's three more we'll try to get through at least okay. um and the first one is this idea of like moral accountability i was actually talking with like an atheist an atheist who's like big like quantum physics and he thinks this is one of the better arguments um for free will because it's like this whole moral accountability thing um so what are your thoughts on moral accountability uh, as an argument for libertarian freedom
1: yeah like i alluded to earlier, um, if we do not possess libertarian freedom, then you can't really say there's any odds about our thoughts (laughs) um, (laughs) or our following actions. Um, there's no odds there. Uh, Mm -hmm. so I think there's many reasons, uh, why the atheist, uh, or the, the naturalist can't affirm objective morality. Uh, however, um, Well, I just say that one of those reasons is the naturalist has a hard time uh, trying to affirm libertarian freedom. In fact, most seems most uh, reject it. Mm -hmm. But it seems, like I said earlier, we have this direct acquaintance with the moral fabric of the universe, which I think is stronger than the physical fabric Mm -hmm. of the universe. Um, After all, we could be in a matrix. But even if we were, there's some things that are really uh, right and wrong, even if all we were uh, if we really mm-hmm. did exist in a matrix, so uh, with that in mind, in my book I offer what's called the oughts and Thoughts argument, and uh, here's another seven-step argument. So sorry for my long syllogism, so <laughs> but but it goes like this: uh, premise one, if naturalistic or divine determinism is true, then libertarian free will does not exist. Two, if libertarian free will does not exist, then libertarian free thinking does not exist, right? And I'm talking about the opportunity to ever think otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, three, if libertarian free thinking does not exist, then moral moral oughts about our thoughts and following actions are illusory as it would be impossible to ever think otherwise about anything. If something or someone else causally determines uh, you to affirm a false belief, then there are no opportunities available for you to think otherwise, like we mm. just talked about, yeah. All right, so uh, four premise four moral oughts about our thoughts and following actions are not illusory, right? We we know that it was objectively wrong, uh, for Hitler to think he should kill millions of Jews or even one Jew, mm-hmm. right? That was, yeah, uh, and we know that it's uh, we ought not think, uh, or we ought not have racist. <laughs> Uh, racist thoughts, and we ought not—we definitely better not—ought not act mm-hmm. on those racist thoughts. That is objectively evil, right? So there, there are. Uh, I'm just saying, there, there, uh, moral odds about our thoughts are not illusory. Okay, so uh, they, that is to say they exist. Um, all right. So now we've got some deductive conclusions. Five. Therefore, libertarian free thinking exists. We do. We are free thinkers. In the in the literal sense in the libertarian sense uh six therefore uh, libertarian free will exists right mm. we have libertarian freedom finally seven therefore both naturalistic and divine determinism are false so if all thoughts are causally or you know if all thoughts are ultimately causal uh, caused and determined by something or someone beyond human control mm. then humanity is not responsible in a desert sense uh, for our thoughts and or any action that is as a result of a certain thought. So this, this is a problem uh, because, you know, since human action, at least the, the actions for which a person is deemed morally responsible, uh, Mm -hmm. they seem to follow from our thoughts. So if we're not free thinkers and a certain thought causes an action then I don't see how we can be responsible. If something else causes a thought in me, which causally determines an action, then that something else should be blamed, not me. Now, mm-hmm. Christopher Yuan, uh from I think he's from Moody, uh Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, history. he is. Yeah, so he so I quoted him in my book, and he, he said, uh, thoughts precede action, good theology, right action, bad theology, wrong action. Now, with that in mind, let's think about what Paul taught. Um uh, let's see. So Paul um, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he commands us to take our thoughts captive to obey Christ, right? To, to obey reality. It's one of my favorite verses uh, mm-hmm. in all of scripture because it gives us uh, a reason uh, to see the importance of apologetics and destroying ob- uh, objections that are raised against the knowledge of God. But then he goes further and he says, and we take our thoughts captive to obey Christ. And Christ, according to Paul, when you look at Colossians 1, uh, 16, um, he sees Christ as ultimate reality. Jesus is God, right? Jesus created uh, physical reality and the, the rest mm-hmm. of reality. But, but Jesus is ultimate reality. So when Paul says well, we take our thoughts captive to obey Christ, he is saying we take our thoughts captive to obey reality. Um, and now think about the nature of truth. Not only does Jesus refer to himself as the truth, But a statement that is true corresponds to reality. So anyway, we are commanded to take our thoughts captive. We have all kinds of thoughts. I call them popping thoughts that come into our head that we don't necessarily have control over, right? Maybe something else causally determines some of these popping thoughts. But Paul seems to think that we have the ability to dwell on these bad popping thoughts or Mm -hmm. not. We can reject them. We can take them captive, as it were. Uh, and, and put him in jail, right? <laughs> to obey mm-hmm. Christ, to obey reality. Paul also tells us in Colossians two eight, he warns us that we can be taken captive by bad thinking. So, I mean, what's he saying here? It's like you can take thoughts captive, or they can take you captive. It's your choice, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the spiritual battle. You're not a passive cog at the at the mercy of the whims of a, a deity of deception, or or physics and chemistry <laughs> right mm-hmm. you are an active agent who contributes to your ultimate set of beliefs right but if if you're not i mean look if you're an active agent who contributes to your ultimate set of beliefs then congratulations you've got libertarian freedom but if you do not have libertarian freedom to think then you are a you're nothing but a passive cog albeit a passive conscious cog that is Mm -hmm. simply at the mercy of the whims of what seems to be a deity of deception. And the Christian ought to reject that. And even if you're an atheist, then you're, you're still uh, at the mercy of the whims of the initial conditions of the big bang and physics and chemistry and quant, you know, some quantum mechanics or what have you Uh, that seems to be a bad place. (laughs) But, but anyway, let me get back to Paul. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans twelve two uh, that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We can be transformed by, uh, and I think this is so true. Mm-hmm. If if you choose to take bad thinking captive before it takes you, y- your physical brain will change. In fact, uh, Jeffrey Schwartz um, from UCLA has led this. Uh, this is scientific research research that shows that Paul was onto something. 2,000 years before science finally caught up. And that is the way that we freely choose to think. It it actually changes your physical brain structure. It can be really hard to take certain thoughts captive. For the addict, let's say somebody is addicted to pornography. Um, They wake up and their brain is screaming at them to go look at it or whatever else they're addicted to. But it's been demonstrated that you can, no matter how hard it is, it's really hard sometimes, but you can take that thought captive and arrest it if you were, or Mm -hmm. as it were, arrest it, put it in prison, destroy it. Now, if you do that once, it's probably not going to, uh, transform you by the renewing of your mind. It's like going to the gym and lifting weights. If you go once, it's not going to really transform your body. But if you make a habit, if you make, you say, I'm going to make a commitment, uh, and and make this a habit to take my thoughts captive. Even if I lose on occasion, I'm going to stand up dust myself off, keep fighting that good fight. Right. Mm. I mean, this is just the story. This is the new Testament story, right? This Mm -hmm. I mean, so, uh, but you can take your thoughts captive. And if you make it a habit and like you go to the gym, uh, three to five days a week after that first week, you're not going to have much to show for it, but man, in six months, you will be radically transformed by the renewing of your physical body and your muscles, right? Mm. I mean, I mean, you'll, you'll see a difference in six weeks, but in six months, you will be a different person if you go to the gym uh, and make that a habit multiple times a week. Now, s- similarly, with the way we think, thoughts are immaterial. You can't weigh a thought. A thought doesn't weigh anything. It doesn't you can't smell it. You can't touch it. It's not a physical type of thing. It is, it seems to be, uh, something that is other than nature. But the way we freely choose to think actually change the physical structure of our brains and our brain chemistry. I, I point people to the work of Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz from UCLA. It, science finally caught up to what Paul was preaching 2,000 years ago, that if you take your thoughts captive to obey Christ and you do that enough, and you don't let bad thinking take you captive, then you will be transformed. You will be a new person. You will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Indeed, your physical brain structure will actually change, and that's backed up by science. So anyway, bottom line, if there are objective oughts about our thoughts, then it makes no sense to think that a deity of deception causally determines all false beliefs. Indeed, all false theological beliefs but would be causally determined all the time that anybody ever has from a non-Christian to a Christian because surely I don't know any Christian that's infallible and has every thought correct. So that would even mean that Christians, when we hold false theological beliefs are causally determined by God to hold false theological beliefs. So I think it makes much more sense to realize that at least many times, at least, at least on occasion, bad thinking is our fault. Mm -hmm. Right. We had the ability not to think incorrectly and we failed to take that opportunity. I mean, think about it. If God causally determines all my thoughts and beliefs and all of my evaluations and all my judgments, then if I'm wrong about this, it's because God causally determined me to happily affirm a false theological belief. And that's really strange, considering Mm -hmm. the fact uh like I said earlier, I used to fight for Ed for exhaustive divine determinism, but why would God causally determine me to think correctly in the past and then zap me or do whatever he does, and and causally determine me to affirm and advance false theological beliefs? So, uh, let me share one more uh, little syllogism here. This is okay. only three steps, mm-hmm. and I think this uh, truth can be expressed this way: One, if God causally determines Jack. To affirm false theological beliefs then god is not a maximally great being right he's a deity of deception but two Mm -hmm. god is a maximally great being three therefore god does not causally determine jack to affirm false theological beliefs that's jack's fault now why is this jack's fault because he had the ability to take thoughts captive he had the ability to be careful but he wasn't um he didn't take advantage Uh, to seize that opportunity, even though it was available. Now that's libertarian freedom. So anyway, if God causally determines all thoughts, actions, beliefs, and behaviors, evaluations, and judgments all the time, then humans really get off the hook, as it were. Um, And I say, look, I think scripture is is clear that we ought to take responsibility for, for our thoughts and actions. So don't say the devil made me do it. Don't blame physics and chemistry, don't blame your DNA, right? Whatever you whatever you do, don't say that God made me do it. Don't say that God is the author of sin. No, take responsibility. You sinned and you could have taken the way of escape that Paul discusses in 1 Corinthians 10:13. So, anyway,
0: yeah, no, that's great. I um, appreciate going through that. The next thing I have for you um, is an argument that could be used for free will, but people may also use it against it. It's this idea of like, what does the Bible say? Um, because, you know, some people will say, well, the Bible clearly teaches libertarian freedom or like, Tim, haven't you read like Romans 9 or Ephesians 1? And it's it's, it's <laughs> right. obvious that determinism is true. Um, so do you want to just kind of like just survey just very um, briefly here, obviously? because. There's a lot here, uh, but like, what do you think about like the biblical argument for free will? Like, why do you think it supports it, and why do you think it doesn't? Like, m- make the case that some determinists may think it does.
1: Well, first thing I want to do is uh, because I'll keep this quick, so I'm going to point people uh, to my book, and mm-hmm. the entire second chapter is about scripture. And I look at a lot of the uh, passages of scripture that that at face value seem to uh, point to determinism. Mm-hmm. Then I look at so many other passages, and I would say I used to think there were more passages that seemed to imply determinism than libertarian freedom. And now after my survey, I say, no, nah, there's a lot more that at least at face value would uh, imply libertarian freedom. Be that as it may, there seems to be some passages that are quite confusing. So the one that I like to hang out on, and I meant I just mentioned it, was, is 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. So let's hang out there for a little bit. Now, I say, look, 1 Corinthians 10.13 is written by the same guy who wrote Romans 9. So uh, let's keep keep that in mind. Here's an argument, a short syllogism based on 1 Corinthians 10.13. Premise one, if Christians possess the opportunity to exercise an ability to choose among a range of alternative options, each compatible with their regenerated nature at a given moment, then Christians possess libertarian freedom. Premise two: At the moment of temptation, Christians possess the opportunity to exercise an ability to choose between giving into temptation or to take the way of escape. God promises to provide in First Corinthians ten thirteen. Conclusion: Therefore, Christians possess libertarian freedom. Now, First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen. I, I say at least. Heavily implies that when faced with temptation, Christians have an opportunity to exercise an ability to escape sin or not. That is to say that Christians possess the ability to choose between giving into temptation or to take the way of escape that God promises to provide. So that means then, since Christians still sin, every time a Christian sins, They could have done otherwise. They Mm -hmm. could have taken the way of escape that God gave them. So this is, you know, we talked about the different definitions of libertarian freedom earlier. And and that uh, all I have to show is that if somebody is not causally determined at a certain moment when they choose that, that they chose freely in a libertarian sense. But this Paul is implying something even stronger, like you said, an ability, uh, an opportunity to exercise an ability to do otherwise here. So uh, that's a pretty strong argument based on biblical data. Now, if exhaustive divine determinism is true, then an opportunity to exercise this ability simply does not exist. If If one possesses no opportunity to escape temptation, then surely one should not be blamed for being causally determined to sin by something or someone else, right? There's simply no opportunity to do anything to the contrary. So I do, I, I've written about this a lot in my book. Um, people can also go to my website. I have an article called Molinism is Biblical, and there I spend half of it just discussing libertarian freedom. So half of it is why libertarian freedom is biblical. Um, but there's many other passages of scripture, both Old and New Testament. Um and uh, I, I would just encourage people uh, to go to my book to see all of those other passages. Mm-hmm. But I think 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is, is my favorite. It's at least the one I like to start with.
0: No, that's a great place to start just thinking about it as you were talking. Um, I have one more objection for you, and then we'll do a little bit of q and So if you have questions, feel free to put those in. And if you send them a super chat, that's always appreciated. Um, but my last question for you here um, from my perspective, or from, um, I don't believe this, but just kind of like the last thing from uh, my list here is that could we have just evolved in a way that allowed for like rational decision making? Um, so we think about this in kind of like evolutionary terms. The person that um, can kind of like make the decision to eat the like the good apple that isn't poisonous is going to like be more like to survive and yeah. reproduce so it seems like at least from like an evolutionary perspective we kind of be wired towards like understanding truth and such um so how would you respond to this kind of um objection that evolution would kind of undermine this idea of like free thinking um we don't really need it um so what are your thoughts here tim
1: yeah no i think uh well look i mean alvin Planiga offers an argument that's Quite similar to mine, but it's not identical. Uh, he refers to his as the evolutionary argument against naturalism, mine mm-hmm. is the free thinking argument against naturalism. So his is the E-A-A-N, and I affirm it. Uh, mine mm-hmm. is the F-A-A-N. Um, I affirm his argument, and in my recent um 50-page paper I wrote, uh I I discussed this and I show that if one affirms the E-A-A-N, they ought to affirm the F-A-A-N. But the F, the free thinking argument against naturalism, I think is stronger than the evolutionary argument against naturalism in a sense. In fact, um, here's, what's interesting the uh, I spent a lot of time on the, on, on the local university here, the university of Nebraska at Kearney. And, uh, one of the evolutionary biologists there, uh, she's uh well i I shared Plantinga's argument with her she didn't find it persuasive at all she had all kinds of uh pushback against it i felt like it it didn't even nudge her uh (laughs) you know her her beliefs toward theism at all Mm -hmm. yeah um, or against naturalism at all but then i gave her the free thinking argument against naturalism and uh let her wrestle with that and to this day, that was several years ago. She says, to this day, the free thinking argument is what she could not wrestle with. She said it ultimately uh, defeated her, as it were, and she realized that naturalism had to be false if she was going to consider herself to be a rational scientist. And then she realized that theism made the best explanation of that, and ultimately that the biblical view of God made the best explanation of that. So today, she... Is a, a Christian theist, a proud oh, Christian wow. theist. That's yeah, she's still an evolution professor who's teaching her uh, students that Christianity is true and that there's no contradiction between the two. Mm. Um, and uh, so uh, it's really pretty cool um, to. Uh, I mean, so so she wasn't moved at all by the by the evolutionary argument against naturalism, but she was by the free thinking argument because she realized that. Uh, Here's why she wasn't moved by Plantinga's argument, because she did say, well, look, if my beliefs, if my belief forming faculties are uh, are aimed at survival on evolution, then it seems to be the case that beliefs that correspond to reality, i.e. I. true beliefs, would help one survive most of the time. So on evolution, our, our beliefs aren't selected for truth. They're selected for survival, but true beliefs would tend to allow one to survive most of the time. But Plantinga and others like to give thought experiments about why holding false beliefs uh, at times will help you survive. So, um, so there's, uh, there's some, uh, there's some undercut, there's an undercutting defeater there a little Mm -hmm. bit. But when she realized that wow, naturalism is all there is, and that not just evolution, but everything about me right now, that everything about every human right now at this instance is ultimately causally determined by something other than me, namely a non-thinking thing. If that's causally determining all of my thoughts and beliefs, and I have no ability to rationally infer a better or true belief over a false belief, then you got major problems. So anyway, I I would if somebody is going to affirm or, or offer. Uh, the objection that, look, I'm evolved to think rationally. Okay, well, great. Um, you're probably evolved to hold some true beliefs. I affirm that. Um, mm-hmm. if, if that. If that were true, I'm not saying you can't hold any true beliefs. I'm just saying you cannot rationally infer better or true beliefs over the false beliefs that you've been evolved to hold or causally determined to hold. You can't do it. You have no opportunities to do that. And since that's the case, you have no ability or opportunity to rationally affirm any of your beliefs without begging the question, which is a logical fallacy. Uh, so that's not a justification for any of your beliefs. So I I, I, I do start out with Plantinga's argument. If that's not persuasive, I hit him with the free thinking argument. And uh, I, I don't think that um, somebody saying we're, I'm just evolved that way, I don't think that's going to allow them to escape uh, any of the the problems here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, what we'll do now is we'll go to a little bit of Q&A for about like 10 minutes or so um, and we'll head towards wrapping things up here. Um, we have a question from Kyle Plantinga's Bulldog, which says, um, Dr. Stratton and I were talking about this earlier today, um, but could you lay out to the audience how you think um, Molinism can answer the problem of evil? Um, so what are your thoughts here, Tim?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think Molinism um, can uh, uh, answer the problem of evil. Uh, I think, I've in my book in the last chapter, I discuss how uh, Molinism can account. In fact, I show that only Molinism has access to a specific argument. And I don't just appeal to mere Molinism at this point, I appeal to a soteriological view of Molinism and I show how it can defeat the problem of natural evil, uh, the problem of moral evil. And I do offer a quick footnote about how I think it can actually. Uh, defeat the objection raised against the problem of divine hiddenness. Um, and I, I, I am in the process of finishing up a paper right now, which I will hopefully be presenting at a conference uh, in a few months um, on how Molinism uh, defeats the problem of uh, divine hiddenness too. So anyway, um, I can uh, let's see, I can share. Let me get my book here and see. I'll share one of my favorite arguments here. Um, here we go. All right. So, premise one: If God is omnibenevolent, then He desires genuine eternal love relations with humans. Now, I say in a soteriological view of Molinism that God is uh, om- omnipotent, He's omniscient, and He is uh, omnibenevolent. So, I take a maximally great being approach here. So. Uh, So again, premise one, if God is omnibenevolent, then he desires genuine eternal love relations with humans. Two, if God desires genuine eternal love relations with humans, then he creates humans with libertarian freedom. And uh, I don't think we had a chance to talk about it here today, but I have written about why true love or at least the best kind of love requires libertarian freedom. We can talk about that if you'd like, if we have time. Uh, Premise three, if God creates humans with libertarian freedom... Then he allows humans to experience suffering. Uh, four, God is omnibenevolent. Five, therefore, God allows humans to experience suffering. Now, in my book, I unpack why God uh, or, or why uh, God allows this, and, and why suffering is actually good for us. And then I connect that back with Second uh, uh, Corinthians four seventeen, where Paul says these light, momentary afflictions. And he's being sarcastic, by the way, because he he knew what it meant to suffer probably more than anybody else besides Jesus on the cross. But mm-hmm. uh, but Paul uh, describes all of our uh, sufferings as light, momentary afflictions, and talks about how they how they prepare us for eternity, how they prepare us for an eternal way of glory. But anyway, I show in this uh, uh, the the key premise here, and let me unpack it here. Was the third. Well, let me, let me give you the second and third premise here. I'm sorry if I'm a little scatterbrained. No, so you're good. Okay. I'll say if God desires genuine eternal love relations with humans, then he creates humans with libertarian freedom because uh, a genuine eternal love relationship between God and humans necessarily requires that humans possess libertarian freedom. I unpack that. And then next premise, if God creates humans with libertarian freedom, then he allows humans to experience suffering because suffering can result from human uh, from libertarian free humans, that's going to give you uh, moral suffering or, or uh, yeah, like from the suffering that Hitler might cause. But also because God created a world, this gets us into middle knowledge and Molinism, God created a world in which he knew that unless he permitted moral, natural, and all kinds of evil, maybe even divine hiddenness, that some would not freely choose to eternally uh, preserve the suffering free state of affairs in the new heavens and the new earth that Paul seems to be referring to in second Corinthians 417. So I would uh, also point people to a video on my YouTube channel talking about how Dr. Strange in the Avengers helps us understand God's uh, middle knowledge and why uh, he creates us in a world in a suffering infused world. You know? so, so if somebody wants to say, why did Dr. Strange Create a world in which uh, Tony Stark, uh, you know, where, where Tony Stark and Black Widow, where they where they die. Why would Doctor Strange do such a thing? And why would why would Doctor Strange create a world, you know, one of these possible futures, make it the actual future where he's hidden and nowhere to be found for a five-year blip? That doesn't seem like a good hero. Well, actually, mm-hmm. we see that that he created the only. Uh, that he actualized the only possible future in which the evil of Thanos is ultimately defeated. So we all see, we all watch the Avengers. Well, at least you are now. (laughs) Anybody who's watched those those two movies, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, realizes that Doctor Strange is the ultimate hero, right? Mm -hmm. Doctor Strange chose a world, even a, a world that killed him, now he did, he was raised from the dead, right? But but uh, he, he chose a world in which he would sacrifice his life for his friends and for the sake of, of uh, humanity and all life. Uh, and even though that world was filled with pain, evil, and suffering to ultimately defeat uh, evil and all suffering. So Um, Anyway, I think uh, my argument combined with good thought experiments, including the Avengers, uh, helps people understand uh, why Molinism can answer the problem of evil. And I plan on unpacking this more in the next year.
0: Mm, that's great. Uh, definitely looking forward to that. We have probably time for one more question here from Ryan Polly, um, which is a good one. Which says, um, "How how would Tim respond to the objection that beliefs are not freely chosen? Um, you can't freely believe that a pink elephant is standing on his head. Uh, maybe actions are free, but not beliefs. I'm I mean, I kind of believe there's a pink elephant, an invisible hey, one there, but you know, I
1: refuse to answer any question from Ryan Polly. <laughs> well, uh, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Ryan's a good friend. We actually work together at a uh, in, in an organization called Maven, and we were just on a, a uh, like a Zoom call together last night. So anyway, Ryan, it's good to good to hear from you, and that's a good question. Uh, so uh, so this gets us into something in the philosophy called uh, doxastic voluntarism. So there is a a view called direct doxastic voluntarism, which says that I can choose any of my beliefs at any time, willy nilly, whatever I decide to believe. That's that's what I'm going to believe. And so, you know, Ryan's saying, well, can you freely choose to actually the, to believe that there's a pink elephant on my head right now? Now, mm-hmm. no, I, I can't. But what if I said, well, yeah, I believe that. And he goes, no, you don't. Yeah, you're not being honest. And now, but what if I really wanted to believe it? Um, let's say Ryan was going to give me a billion dollars if I could really believe that there is a pink elephant standing on my head. Now, of course, I want to believe that more than anything but I just can't make myself do it. Um, even if a billion dollars is on the line now, I could lie, but you know, then he straps me up to a lie detector test and I fail because of course I really don't believe it, mm-hmm. but we're not talking about those kinds of beliefs. We're talking about, uh, the freedom to, uh, to put myself in a position, um, to ultimately lead to some other beliefs. So I can, I can decide, it seems that I could uh freely decide what will I be open? You know, would the could the atheist say, I am not going to consider any arguments for theism. Uh, no mm-hmm. matter what I hear, no if it's the kalam or what I'm just gonna reject it. Right. I say I, I think that I have talked to many of these folks like I don't care what premise you give me. I will find a way to defeat each premise. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they seem to be committed to that to that before they even hear it. But I've also talked to some atheists who uh, like this the evolutionary biologist who was an atheist. And now she, uh, she helps me with the Rosho Christie chapter on, on the campus. But uh, like her, I think, you know, I challenged her to do this. I said, look, I want you to take your thoughts Captive, and not only your thoughts. I want you to think uh, take your wants captive, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't think you want Christianity to be true, but I want. I, I challenge. I, I say, I, I respectfully challenge you to be open to the arguments and see uh, see where the evidence leads. You know, so one can decide uh, before you directly choose a belief or not to say, I am I. You, you can be like, I am not going to consider any argument for God's existence, or I will at least, I will consider it. I'll be open to your line of argumentation and see what happens. So did she there decide her belief? No, but she chose to take some walls down, as mm-hmm. it were, that then allowed her to follow the evidence to ultimately persuade her, and perhaps that causally determined one's belief. Now, I think that God has created us in such a way that we also can choose some beliefs, or maybe not beliefs. Look, I don't. My argument is not called the free believing argument; it's called the free thinking argument. So I argue for uh, the ability to. Am I the one that judges and evaluates certain concepts and premises and arguments, or does something or someone else do that for me? So, so there's two different ways of looking at this uh, when it comes to beliefs. I don't argue for. Uh, direct doxastic uh, voluntarism, I argue for indirect doxastic voluntarism. But when it comes to thinking, uh, as long as I am not causally determined by something or someone else, and I am doing the judging and the weighing, then I possess, uh, then I'm a free thinker in a libertarian sense. So I don't know if that answers Ryan's question sufficiently, but That's you can never please Ryan. It's
0: like the number one rule of free thinking. Um, (laughs) No, um, Tim, thank you so much for your time. It's been so much fun um, talking about these and exploring these ideas uh, with you. Do you have any kind of like last thoughts, things you didn't get to say before we start to wrap things up here?
1: Well, so much I wanted to say, but you just, you know, (laughs) it's It's all my fault. Just blame me. (laughs) Um, no, I think, uh, I I would just encourage people to go uh, check out my other content. Uh, Uh, definitely uh, check out the book um, and uh, the YouTube channel and the blog articles that I write on the website. I go into many more of these topics and more depth, especially even getting into the topic of why uh, the best kind of love requires libertarian freedom. So I encourage people to go check that out.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, and I thank you everyone um, who tuned in today. Obviously, we didn't get through all the questions, and there were so many things that we we could have explored. Um, but hopefully, we got you like a little taste of everything that you can get if you go subscribe to uh, Free Thinking Ministries and check out his book and all these great things. Um, so I encourage you to go uh, follow him, subscribe to his channel, all that stuff. There's a link down below where you can connect with him, um, see what's going on. And if you're new to the channel, I always encourage you to subscribe to Hearing Apologetics. So whether you're listening via YouTube or podcast, um, you can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy the show, you can. Subscribe Support us on patreon.com slash apologetics or become a YouTube member. It starts as little as a dollar a month and your support goes a long way. So I appreciate that as well. But Tim, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, so much fun.
1: Uh, Thank you, Zach. I
0: had a blast. And thank you, everyone who tuned in. Ryan, TJ, what's the takeaway? Susan, everyone else, have a good one and God bless.